Sorry, I don't have a, a PowerPoint for us today. I've been a little busy. But uh, um, the ones who know actually have a laugh. It's good. The ones who uh, shake their head, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> um, it sort of was praying the other day. I was just heading into church and <clears throat> I got a new watch for Christmas and, and uh, it counts my steps and I know the days I'm being lazy. Who knows the days you're being lazy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, with your normal step counter, it's sort of like a, a 10,000 steps a day is your goal. So I'm going to walk over the stage a few times. So I'm going to make sure I get the goal today. All right? um, anyway, it's funny because um, I, I was working during the week and I've been averaging, I think, between 13 and 15,000 steps while I've been working on the build. And then Tuesday and Wednesday came and uh, my watch told me I did 22,000 steps each those days. And I'm like, wow, I've smashed my goal. And then Thursday I said to Kyle, I said, Kyle, I have to spend the day in the office. And um, it was a funny day. It was an amazing day. But at the same time, it was a challenge because all I wanted to do was be out there building because I'm having such a good time. And um, I love it. But then uh, I looked at my watch at the end of the day and guess how many steps I did? 4,000 <laughs> and I watched the guys drinking their um, Powerades and I watched them drinking their frozen Cokes because um, people have been good to us, blessing us and uh, they've offered me one every, all day, they were offering them to me and I'm like no I can't because I'm only going to do about 4,000 steps and I was right. There's days you feel like you're lazy, yeah. there's days you feel like you need to do more and um, this you know, it's funny to count your steps and some of you got phones that you stick in your pocket when you're walking around and you can track your steps and track where you're going and things like that. But the Bible's like that for us. It should track our steps. It should track what's going on. And it keeps us in step with who we're meant to be. Is that right? So your Bible is a very, very important element of your Christian faith. I've seen too many people, though, elevate it to the point where sometimes it's even higher than Jesus. Is that right? We've got to remember what it is. It's the Word of God which brings life and light to our path. But we've got to understand we need to read our Bible and, and bring lo that life which it brings into us. Don't just read it for the black and white pages that it is, but read it so that it would bring life into us. Yeah? Because the days that I do 4,000 steps, I feel like when I get home, even though I'm mentally exhausted, I feel like I haven't done anything in my flesh. But the days that I did 20,000 steps, I got home and I was energized and I was enthusiastic and I was happy because I know I'd achieved something for the day. Well, the word's got to be like that for us. Don't just read the one quote that comes up on Facebook and say, I've read it, get into it and dig into it and read it and draw life from it because the spirit of god wants to translate and transact with you in that and just as an introduction that is to what i want to talk about today which is character competency and calling so we're all called to be like jesus every one of us have a call on our life would you agree with that what's happened in church history is that only the called teach from the pulpit and i don't think that's right i don't think that's the purpose of christianity because every one of us has a calling. Every one of us are meant to become into and grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Which puts an emphasis and a responsibility on you to be able to say and take responsibility for 
the fact that you are Christ to your neighbours. That's the call that's on your life. The people are reading you just like we read the word. They're reading you like a letter to see how you reflect the image of the one that you say and profess that you love. I read Romans 8, 1 to 4 earlier on. I want to read Romans 8, 28 to 30 right now for us. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What happens is we like to stop at that, don't we? We like to stop there and we say, all things are going to work for my good today. Is that right? But then what happens is when the end of the day comes and it didn't work out for your good, who are you angry at? Are you mad at yourself? But more than likely, you're probably mad at God because it didn't work out to what his word said. All things are worked to your good. There's a comma there. So it is a pause. It is a time for reflection. But continue for those who are called according to his purpose. You can either serve your own purposes or you can serve the call of God, which is his purpose. Which one are we going to choose? Continue. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, say predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I want to insert in there and sisters. That he might be the firstborn among brethren. Yeah? Who's happy that you're a brother of Christ today or a sister of Christ? And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, but pastor, I've been taught that I'm not meant to be glorified. Is that right? You've been taught that you shouldn't be put up on a pedestal. And if you're Australian, you've been taught of the whole tall poppy syndrome that you should be cut down. But the word of God through Paul is quite clear. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. You're meant to glorify the one you emanate. You're meant to reveal him to those around you. Is that right? Yep. God can't do that unless he glorifies you in that. But don't hear that God wants to glorify you. Hear that you can never be elevated to the point that would ever rob God of any glorification that he's owed. What happens is we put this thing in there and say, no, 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 I need to be humble. I need to be under. I need to be lowly. I need to hide but God actually wants to put you upon a lampstand so that the world can see. And that's actually God going to glorify you so that he would be even more glorified by those whom you minister to. Does that make sense? But that doesn't happen unless you grow or go on a journey of Christian maturity. We're called to grow up into Christ. Is that right? You're called to grow up into the likeness of Jesus. But many of us, we get to a point in our Christianity where we're comfortable sitting in the chair and listening and being fed by someone else. But that's not Christianity. 
That's what happened in the early church in Jerusalem. They started to sit back and they started to grumble about the food distribution. And all of a sudden, God kind of stuck a bomb in there and the whole church was dispersed and they all became ministers of the gospel and they went about everywhere teaching of the Christ. So what happens in comfortable situations and seasons in our life is that God likes to get in there and just stir things up a little bit to push you out and make you uncomfortable. So who wants comfortable now? (laughs) No, you don't, do you? So there's this tension, isn't there? You don't want to be comfortable, but the flesh definitely wants to be comfortable. I like my couch, is that right? Yeah? But I know it's not good for me to sit there all day, 24-7, right? The same for you. You like hearing a good message, but you also should start to like the challenge of the word that comes to you. That you're called to grow up into Christ and be a lampstand for the kingdom of God. Everything comes back to this one thing, that everything healthy grows. Is that right? When you look at nature and you look at creation, everything that's healthy, it grows. It grows. And I just watched a proud young dad stick his hand on his wife's belly because inside there is a baby growing. Everything that's created grows. That's natural. That's God's ordained purpose for it is growth. We can learn so much from nature by watching and observing it. But don't worship the nature, worship the creator. Yeah? So everything that's healthy grows. Just look at the development of a child. And and I'm saying this from an ideal situation. I know many of us don't have this kind of upbringing or this kind of beauty, but this is the ideal situation. Firstly, the child is wanted The child born is wanted by their family, wanted by their parents. Do you know God actually wants you, that he's ordained you for this time, that he cares for you so much that he even knows the number of hairs upon your head? In Ian's case, he knows the number of hairs in your beard. Yeah? Maddie, you're in that too. All right? He knows the intimate secrets of your life. He wants to be in relationship with you. As a good father, he made sure that you were born in the right time for you to understand and come to know him. But then a child is born completely dependent upon their parents. Isn't that right? You just look at young Paige. She can't do very much for herself. Even though she's progressing in her stages, she can't do very much for herself. She can't feed herself. She can't change herself. She can't wash herself. And she definitely can't put herself to bed. Okay, I got that one wrong. All right. But a child in safety learns that they are in the love of their parents. Is that right? That's why it's really important to reflect upon the love of God, to know that you are wanted, to know that you have a purpose, to know that you have a calling, to know that God desires to put you on a lampstand so that the world can admire what he's done in you. 
The child, though, begins to grow and they begin to develop certain skills in safety. Like they begin to roll over, they begin to sit, they begin to crawl. Sometimes they stand before they crawl and that's a little bit of a dangerous period of time because they get the jelly legs happening. But then then they start to take a step and you see them walking along the furniture and then they get really brave and they kind of let go, don't they? My first communion message, I used to sit here and I was like this. Yeah? You grow in maturity. And then now I'm walking around counting my steps. All right? But you grow in maturity. This child develops competencies in the very things that the child practices. You, you, we have to understand that practice is really important. They, they, they strengthen through their newly developed skills. And then... Children get to a great age where they challenge every boundary that you put in place. You put a a grate around the fire so they don't burn themselves and they stand up on it, don't they? And then they want to pull it over on themselves. They, They challenge every boundary that's meant to keep them safe because there's something inherent that's designed within us to cause us to push through barriers. It's actually God given, I believe, to see how far you can stretch. But the flesh has taken control of that. So we see what we see today in our teenage years where we see years of rebellion and turning away and not even talking to mums and dads and and hiding in their room and doing all sorts of things because they're in rebellion. But what they're doing is they're actually testing the love of the parent, aren't they? To see how far they can go to see how much mum or dad actually do love them. So there's different stages in the development of children But they're all there to cause the child to grow up into something. As a child grows and develops, we start to sense, to see a sense of the true calling of that child in their life. Many children, you can look at them and you can see, this one brings joy, this one one is crazy, this one over here loves to dance, this one over here loves to climb everything, not the monkey bars, but everything else. Yeah, You see all of these things. As the child grows, we see something developing within them and it becomes evident to some maybe what their calling is. Every decision made has a consequence, right? Whether it's good or bad, every decision you make, there's always an effect of that decision. We must make good decisions in our development as a person and as a Christ follower part of maturing is actually making good decisions yeah we teach our kids to make good decisions so that they can grow up and become good citizens well we 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 should teach our young in the lord to make good decisions so that they can become great lampstands for god these decisions become a little easier when we understand the process a little bit better The journey to maturity, therefore, growing up into Christ involves these three things. Character, competency, and calling. Say with me. Character, competency, calling. I'm going to go to our first point, which is character first. Character touches everything you do. It takes character to live with integrity. It takes character to build healthy relationships and to improve your world around you. If you've got a poor character, all you're going to attract is poor friends. 
I'm not talking spiritually or, or financially poor. I'm talking poor behavior, okay? If your character is not growing, you become attractional to those who like where they are. Character first. Things like being teachable. Things like listening. Being attentive is very important in our Christian growth. Things like learning of others. Seeking out wisdom. Constantly building trust and integrity. Because trust, when you look at it through worldly eyes, is easily is, is hard to earn but quickly broken. Isn't that right? Yeah? But thank God that the way that we approach kingdom trust is that trust is re-established through repentance. Yeah? Do you understand that? If you, break, if you sin, you've broken somebody's trust. Generally, you can say you've broken the trust of the Lord. By repenting and coming to Christ, you're completely forgiven of that making that your union back as father and son. I say that in the most crudest way because we know that all encompassing that is we never step out of the bounds of God in that context anyway. But it's a simple analogy. Looking for opportunities to serve is character building. Looking um, to show gratitude, being generous. They're all character areas that need developing in your Christian walk. We're thinking about the school and as children, our children this year, they will go beyond the formative years and they'll begin to start the development of character first. They will will learn the different traits of character. They will learn to understand how to apply them and how to how to um, bring them into their life and how to practice them. They will, they will not just learn what the character is, but they will come home and hopefully you'll start to see a difference in your child as they teach you about character. Because character is really, really important in our desires and our journey. We look to encourage one another as we see the development of character across our school, and across our church. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth is so important to the development of character. I read this the other day and uh, would you allow me to read it to you? One of the most counterintuitive combinations in Jesus' life, that of truth and love, is seen everywhere in the pages of the Gospels. Then, as now, people rejected and shamed those who held beliefs or practices that they thought wrong and immoral. But Jesus astonished everyone by being willing to eat with tax collectors, collaborators, 
with the occupying Roman imperial forces. This outraged those we might call the left, those zealous against oppression and injustice. But he also welcomed and ate with prostitutes, Matthew 21, 31 to 32, which offended those promoting conservative traditional moral on the right, morality on the right. Jesus deliberately and tenderly touched lepers, Luke 5, 13, people who were considered physically and ceremonially contaminated, but who were desperate for human contact. Yet he also ate repeatedly with Pharisees. We can find that in Luke 7, 11 and 14, showing that he was not bigoted toward the bigoted. He forgave the enemies who were crucifying him, Luke 23, and the friends who were letting him down in the hour of his greatest need, Matthew 26, 40 to 43. Nevertheless, though welcoming and befriending all, Jesus was surprisingly insistent on bearing witness to the truth. Zacchaeus, the despised tax collector, was stunned by Jesus' love and embraced of him. Yet when hearing his call to repent, stopped his government-backed extortion racket in Luke 19, 1-9. When Jesus encounters women who were considered sexually immoral by the society, he engaged, with them with a, he engaged them with a respect and graciousness that startled onlookers. Yet he gently points out to the Samaritan woman the wreckage of her many failed relationships with men and calls her to find the sole satisfaction she has sought in his eternal life, John 4. In the famous account of the woman caught in adultery, Jesus says to her in one breath, neither do I condemn you. And in the next, go now and leave your life of sin, John 8, 11. Here we see the counterintuitive but brilliant conjunction of both truth and love, both a passion for justice and a commitment to mercy. He is full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus is the only one full of grace and truth. And one of the things that I learned a long time ago was that many of us either identify with grace or with truth. There are truth tellers in the audience and there are grace givers in our audience today. But if we're to grow up into the likeness of Jesus, grow up into all things which is Christ, then we must become gracious and truthful. We need to, count, we need to balance out our truthfulness with the love of God. And for those who like to extend grace, sometimes need a good jolt of truth in their life or to those who they're ministering to. Character development is really, really important in this. You'll never learn or grow in those areas of character development unless you can understand the balance between grace and truth. That's why we look at the Gospels and we see in Jesus the strengths and qualities and they all hinge upon his grace and truth. The second one is competency. Competency is interesting because many of us often fear having a go. Yet that's the point. With each new experience, we must come to the place of saying, I am a child of God and I am prepared to step out and have a go. Are we all prepared to step out and have a go? A dream of 20 years and now this couple are stepping out and having a real go. They're making a crack of it. But it's been a journey to that point, hasn't it? Moses made excuses, yet God through him delivered a nation. The excuses that we put up are actually the fear that holds us back. 
So what is the fear that's holding us back? We must be free to have a go. We can only develop in maturity when we overcome. There is no such thing as failure. Actually, the only thing I see as failure is not having a go. Because you didn't even get in the race for the first place. Like a baby, we don't get it straight away. We need to be able to make mistakes in a place where we receive love and correction to help us to become more like Christ. You must learn how to ask for help. What about Hebrews 5.14? We must learn to practice. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Practice is really important in the development of your competency. Yeah? That's why when you do a trade, you do three years of theory and working with your boss and then another fourth year to continue to, tra- to, to practice. You don't get good overnight. You must practice. Ask Reuben on the drums. Yeah? I've watched this young man grow from being able to hold a beat to now being able to drive a whole band. Yeah? Because he practices. Shane would love me for saying, if you're learning guitar, practice. If you don't practice, you'll never get guitar. It's the same in life. If you don't practice where you believe God is calling you, you'll never step into the fullness of what God has for you. You only become confident by practicing. You will still sometimes have the nerves and the anxiety, but you overcome them in the perfect love of God as you practice. Someone who really fits the first two points is, this, um, is the deacon that we know as Philip the Evangelist. In Acts chapter 6, we see the need of the people. I'm not going to read it because of time, but in Acts chapter 6, The widows, they're squabbling over food rations and the apostles say, we can't be drawn away. And I'll teach on this a little later in the year, but we can't be drawn away from the things that we're called to do. Therefore, choose from among the numbers, men full of the Holy Spirit. They're competent in what they do as well. Put them forward, we'll pray for them and we'll release them to oversee the practical side of of what's going on. You can read it in Acts chapter 6. But Philip, I called him the evangelist, was not always Philip the evangelist. He was first Philip, I can't remember the name, of whoever. He was known by the name of his father. He became Philip the evangelist two chapters later when he witnesses to the Ethiopian. And he opens up the scriptures and he baptizes that Ethiopian. He then becomes an evangelist to a city in Samaria. And he, he, he's the evangelist to Samaria. And what we see is this growth of this man who, who was seen serving in love, elevated to the position of deacon, and then through the scattering of what God did in Jerusalem, he went, one, an Ethiopian, who changed a nation and then he won a city for Christ. His development happened along the way, became competent to the point where they, know, they knew him as Philip the Evangelist. 
as things develop, In Philip's life, he steps into his destiny because his competence grows. He had the character. It was acknowledged by the people and he was released into ministry by the apostles. Is that right? And as the apostles released him into his ministry, he found a greater calling. And it wasn't just serving tables and it wasn't just going around and visiting families. It was praying for the sick and healing them. It was teaching the word of God. He then saw many miracles take place through evangelism. It starts somewhere. It begins with character and then the stretching of your competency. The last one is calling and here is where I finish. As our character develops, we grow in confidence and have a go. When we step out, we become competent. In fact, I want to say that you will never discover your calling sitting in a pew. We must step into serving if we are ever going to know what purpose God has for us. Feed the hungry, heal the sick, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. There is more in the word of God for us as Christians to do in his revealed destiny and purpose for each and every one of us than there ever will be for a one-point, single-minded, focused purpose for your life. When you start fulfilling the general purposes of God, you will discover what he's designed and created you for. Many ministries and miracles have happened across the world just because people have said yes to what God has said to us. Heal the sick, feed the hungry, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. Don't hold on to something. You will discover your calling as you give out. Seek first his kingdom. Attune your ears to the voice of God. Discover what motivates you. Trust those who watch over you. By doing all of this, you will hear the call that belongs to you. Never give up. Some need to let go of the lies that are holding them back. In concluding this morning, let me read this to you. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Abraham, well, he was just old. And Lazarus, well, he had no excuse. He was just dead. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. No matter where you are in your life with God, he is is qualifying you for his service because you are called. He can help you overcome the mistakes you have made and even use them to help others. My question to you then is, 
Will you just allow him to use them? As a child develops, we build character in them. As your character begins to be seen, you start to take risks in the area of stepping out of the boat and starting to serve God. In the midst of serving God, you develop your competencies. As you become competent, opportunities and doors will open and you'll discover your calling. God is not going to drop a calling into your lap right here, right now, today. But if you earnestly seek him, he will develop you and grow you into a place where you can do amazing things for his kingdom. Will you stand with me today as I pray for you? Father, there are things that hold us back. There are worldviews and misconceptions. There are lies of the enemy that he has seeded in our life that says that we are not enough and that we never will be. Lord, right now across this house, I break the power of those lies in the name of Jesus. And I declare over this place that we are a people of character, competence and calling. Lord, I pray that wherever we are in the life and the journey that is with Christ, that you will see an upgrade and make sure that by your spirit an upgrade is possible for every person on their feet today. Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak into our hearts the mighty things that you want to do through us. Lord, I pray that we would begin to dream of these things. While you may not just drop an idea right now, you will drop a dream. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will give us dreams right now in Jesus' name. Release across this house the ability to dream in you, to stir vision in our lives, to see this city come to know Christ, the hope of glory. I pray a release upon this body to step up into the fullness of who you have called us to be. That we would be glorified in Christ. And in turn, you will receive the honor due your name. So I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats.